Equal footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. As often is the case, we try to tackle subjects on this program that we think about a lot, but we don't talk about enough. The topic of tonight's program is death. Is it the final destination? Is it a new beginning? It's certainly a final adventure. Where I'm joined by a an esteemed panel. Interfaith dialogue, as we often try to do here on Equal Footing. I'm going to introduce our panelists in, in no particular order, because they're all renowned and, and well-versed not only in their faith, but in specific around the rites and rituals and beliefs, the theology around death. So let me start by introducing Rabbi Heather Miller, who is joining us from Southern California, and Rabbi Miller has many years of experience as a spiritual guide to her congregations and also specifically in hospice work, working with terminally ill patients and their families. Rabbi Miller is the founding rabbi of Keeping It Sacred, which is a center dedicated to illuminating traditions that are accessible and empowering in the world today. She's the author of Resolutions. It's a practical guide for self-repair. Her writings have been featured in other books and many publications, including the Jewish Journal, ReformJudaism.org, the Shema Journal, and the New York Times. Rabbi Miller has been a rabbi for over 13 years, and in that time, she's served as a leader of a number of congregations across the United States, and she's won various awards, including the Giant of Justice Award, the Leader to Watch Award, an award from the Liberty Hill Foundation, and from the Jewish Federation, Ida Community Leadership Fellowship. So, Rabbi Miller, welcome to Equal Footing. I'd like to now... <laughs> we got gotcha? you? I'm still here. Hi, Rabbi Miller. All right, I want to introduce uh, Dr. Eshin Brenda Shoshana. And Dr. Shoshana has a point of view as a psychologist and all, as an author, as a speaker, as well as a long-term practitioner of both Zen Buddhism and Judaism. <clears throat> Uh, Dr. Shoshana's work is dedicated integrating the teachings of East and West and making them real in our everyday life. She talks at Zendos, which are Zen Buddhist uh, monasteries and retreat centers around the country. She also has a weekly, weekly podcast called Zen Wisdom for Your Everyday Life. And over the years, Dr. Shoshana, who has given me the permission on the show to use her her Dharma, her Buddhist name of Eshin, so I'll do that on the show, uh, has over the years given many workshops and talks on all aspects of psychological and spiritual development and living an authentic life, including our approach to death and the teachings that come from the dying. She's worked with many hospitals and families dealing with end-of-life issues. And if you want to find out more about Dr. Shoshana, you can go to brendashoshana.com. Our third of four, third of four panelists has been on the show before, is in studio here with me, and it's a delight to have Zen master Doam Sunim with us again, and he's joined by his assistant and sometimes translator Muju, in case that's needed on the program. Doam Sunim is a Buddhist monk and an abbot of the Manhattan Chogyesa Monastery in the Korean tradition. And he's been the abbot of that Zen temple since 2012. Sunim was ordained as a monk in 1986 by the Zen master Seong San after immigrating to Canada in the early 1980s. And interestingly, Sunim did not grow up Buddhist. And so he uh, came to this path through questioning of the meaning of life in his early adulthood. And, and he's been practicing Zen meditation for over 30 years and teaching to uh, countless uh, acolytes. Last but certainly not least, we're joined by uh, an esteemed new guest, Father Robert Kennedy. And Father Kennedy is actually here in the New York area, but is currently in quarantine. And Robert Kennedy is a Jesuit priest. He was ordained in 1965, and he's a very well-known professor of theology, and he's also a psychoanalyst. 
very well respected in both the academic and the theological community, an author of three uh, books. Uh, he's a retired Jesuit priest at this point, is a professor, as I said, of theology, and was chairperson of the theology department of St. Peter's College in Jersey, in New Jersey, and where he taught both theology and Japanese. And in addition to his work in the academic world, he's practiced psychoanalysis for many years in New York City and was, in fact, a representative of the United Nations uh, for the Institute of Spiritual Consciousness and Politics. His books include Zen Spirit, Christian Spirit, and Zen Gift to Christians. So, Father Kennedy, Doam Sunim, Eshin, Rabbi Miller, welcome to Equal Footings. Such a pleasure to have you all on talking about this challenge. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What an introduction. Okay, let's let's dive in. And Rabbi Miller, maybe you could kick us off with the simple perspective on what is death, in fact, in Jewish thought. What What is happening at the moment of, of death, according to Jewish theology? Thank you. Well, it's never simple in Judaism, I'll just say. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, there's a tradition that understands that, um, first of all, we make room for lots and lots of different perspectives, but there is one of the traditions to understand. We take the idea from the death of Moses, and when Moses died, um, there was a question of what exactly happened, and there's a, an idea that actually God kissed him on the lips and that is how he died. There's an understanding that death can be as gentle as pulling a hair out of a bowl of milk. There's an understanding that his particular death, they say it was ka'asher Aaron, like like the death of his brother Aaron. And what does ka'asher mean? It, you can actually do a play on words. It's actually ka'ashre, which means like as happiness. So his death was actually not a source of trouble, but it was... Uh, a peaceful kind of a transition. Okay, well, Father Kennedy and, and Rabbi Miller, thank you for that, and, and feel free to uh, speak even closer to the phone since you know we're, we have a mix of studio participants and and on the on the uh, on the telephone. F- Father Kennedy, as you know, I'm a, I am a practicing Jew. I have uh, family members who are practicing Catholics. My understanding of death in the Christian or Catholic tradition is much less as a gentle thing or like a, a moment of a, of, a, of a kiss from God. But I think of the martyrdom of Jesus and the, and the, the, the uh, tragedy and the, 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 the pain and the drama of death. Am I, am I wrong to think about it that way? What is death in, in the Catholic tradition? Well, there's partly, of course, the death of Jesus, but uh, death can be, uh, is, for Catholics, believing Catholics, uh, a glorious thing. It is uh, it's not death at all. It is just transition into another life. And, uh, you know, we prepare for the life to come by the life we live now. And uh, so the emphasis is on, on life and uh, human development and... Uh, that's why psychology is so important for us, family psychology, marriage psychology, community psychology. Uh, we try to give people the best chance at life uh, because it will continue. It does not come to an abrupt or violent end uh, as we believe it continued with Jesus. So Father Kennedy and, and Rabbi Miller, before we turn the conversation to the Eastern traditions, in in the Judeo-Christian and all the Abrahamic traditions, I imagine this applies to Islam as well. Rabbi Miller, is is death an end? Is it is it a final chapter, or as Father Kennedy just referred to, is it is it is it kind of a, a portal into something else? Yeah, it's a tra- it's a transition. Um, but again, you know, after the Holocaust, people really wondered if that actually would happen. But th- so we're kind of straddling a lot of different um, perspectives because there's an idea in the Torah that, you know, after death, a person just goes down to a place called Sheol, which is like an underground river. Right. And uh, the physical body is buried in a cave. And rabbinic understanding 
there's kind of a, a trial and your person's judged on what, you know, actions they did in their lives. There's no, no hell. There's um, a kind of purgatory for up to 12 months for the worst of the worst people who, you know, did like the worst things. But um, uh, even they will get to go to a place called Gan Eden, which is like heaven, as what people understand heaven to be. Yeah. But for the rabbis, that meant that they got to study with God all day. It was heaven for them. Um, yeah, we did a show on 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 uh, specifically the, the the Jewish concept of heaven and hell. I think it was last year, and I was shocked mm-hmm. as you know because I don't remember learning about the complexities in in, in Hebrew school as a kid. How <laughs> how there it's really all over the map. You know the 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 different interpretations of whether there's a limbo state, whether there's a purgatory, whether there's, you know, heaven and hell themselves are really Jewish concepts. Is it, is it kind of a right, and subject to interpretation? Completely. And, and, and that's a good thing, you know, that there's a humility there that we don't actually know. And what, what really matters is like what Father Kennedy said is like, but how are you living your life? Which understanding of death and the afterlife really propels you to be a good person, right? The modern era, right, maybe nothing happens after a person dies. You know, if you ask my wife, my wife would say that if, as soon as a person dies, you know, then we, what happens? We bury them in the ground. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that motivates her to be a really good person in the world. For me, I'd like to think that there's some sort of justice in the afterlife, um, and so I, I tend to, you know, think more rabbinically about, you know, getting to study with God for the rest of eternity. That sounds pretty good to me, but I know I'm a dork for Torah. That's good. But, um, Father Kennedy so is in, in Christian theology, is, is it as simple as you go to heaven or hell? Well, we don't say that anybody goes to hell. The existence of uh, hell has, you know, been affirmed down through the centuries, but not that anybody ever goes there. And uh, even, you know, terrible people, uh, God's mercy is all-encompassing. So, um, heaven, well, it's uh, himmel, heaven, it's a, a word that means for us the extension of life, a new creation. Uh, it is a, uh, a resurrection. It's not a resuscitation, but a resurrection into a new life entirely uh, with God. And uh, we hold this and uh, believe in it. And uh, so, b- before we go to our first break, let's let's put a pin in that resurrection concept and turn our discussion to the east. Uh, Eshin, Doctor Shoshana, yeah. is in 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 Buddhism, which is, as I understand it, theologically has a lot of similarities with Hinduism. What is what is death? Is is there a <laughs> resurrection? A is there a continuance? Is there a heaven and a hell? Give us a, a quick. Primer. Well, from the Zen, I, I can't do it too quick, but from the Zen point of view, it's a koan. It doesn't. Know, who knows what we don't. From the Zen practice point of view, we don't linger with concepts or theories. We need to taste it ourselves. We need to experience it ourselves. We need to know. And in every day, we're living and dying every single day. So we have a chance to practice that. And when we can live completely fully, then we can die fully every day. Let go. Be focused. Be real. And, and not get in our head. You know, that's one of the main differences, I think, between Zen practice. I'm coming just from the Zen practice point of view. Is to And many Zen masters who've been asked, what happens when you die? They say, how do I know I'm still alive? We're going to take <laughs> a quick break. And, and we're going to ask <laughs> Doam Sunim to explain to us whether about reincarnation and how that fits into uh, Eshin's uh, depiction of the Zen view on on death. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. We're talking about death, the final adventure, an interfaith dialogue. We have uh, Father Robert Kennedy and Rabbi Heather Miller and Dr. Eshin, Brenda Shoshana, and Zen Abbot Do Ansunim. We'll be right back.
just a great song, The Funeral by Band of Horses. We do have to discuss our sponsors, and apropos to the subject of tonight's program, uh, our healthcare sponsors in particular. You've heard me talk about DocuVax, and in this day and age of the understanding of the importance of preventative health and have being current on our vaccines and our preventative screenings, it's really a special tool. Whether you're a medium-sized, small business owner, whether you're a, a school administrator, or you're a parent trying to manage your family's medical records, DocuVax gives you an easy-to-use digital locker. It's an accessible, it's accessible on your laptop or smartphone. It allows you to safely store and validate, uh, in other words, interpret and understand the results of basic medical information and tests, including your immunization records, your lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. So gone are those days of losing time, tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider or insurance company. The DocuVac system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines, to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, even blood type issues and allergy information. To sign up, go to docuvax.com. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. You can also find it on the Apple uh, Store and also on Android and Google devices and the application form. You can call to sign up for DocuVax as well at 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. And it's for little as $6.99 per month. As a subscriber, you can privately access all of your medical records or your children's medical records if they're under 18 from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And this is the most important part. If you're a subscriber to DocuVax, you have all your medical information in one place, very well organized, and 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, you have medical professionals on call to validate a vaccine record, a blood test, or anything else in your locker for travel, employment, school requirements, or whatever it might be. So it's clear, it's important to, to mention that it's clear that when you're a DocuVax subscriber, your information is not accessible to anybody else. It's safe and secure. You you can share it, however, using a proprietary QR code-based system to an individual, to a doctor, to an insurance company or school, whoever you want. So put an end to worrying about your disorganized medical records or whether you're up-to-date in a certain vaccine or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file. Your medical records belong to you, not your doctor, not your insurance company belongs to you. So get it all in one place, docuvax.com, or call 833-859-1933. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on track. All right, you're back on equal footing. I feel like this is an introduction to a, a to a joke, but uh, we've got a panel with have we have a rabbi and a priest and a Zen Buddhist and a psychologist. So here we are talking about uh, death and what what's going on at the moment of death. What is the meaning? What are the teachings that come from death? We're going to hit it from diff- some different angles. Participate in the conversation. You can call in. Don't be shy. Seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. We're on live. That's seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. Please be patient if you call in. It may take us a little bit to get to you. You can also text a comment or a question. And when you call in or text, by the way, you don't have to do so giving your name. You can do anonymously if you feel more comfortable that way. You can text or even WhatsApp a question to nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven. Four two eight four zero six two. Call in with the, give it your best shot. Call in with your most uh, thorny question about death. Okay, Don Sunim, we haven't heard from you. I'm looking you here in the eye in the in the studio. Reincarnation. Before the break, Eshin mentioned this concept of kind of almost like death is ever present in our consciousness as as uh, if you're practicing Buddhism, but didn't get really to the to the question of, of reincarnation. Is that part of the Buddhist belief around death? Okay. Uh, before we talk about the reincarnation, we should know what death is. If there is no death, and there is no reincarnation, right? So in Buddhism, what I understand from Buddha's teaching, there is no life and no death. 
Tell us more. So, the word, word life and death, uh, abstract words, nouns, abstract nouns, they do not physically exist. Buddha said whatever forms or appear will eventually disappear. So life and death cannot be separated, mm. just like water changed to its form. So death is, in a, is in, a, in a sense an illusion. Yes, there is no individual entity which can be called life or death. And is that because in Buddhist thought, the soul endures is the same effectively before and after the moment of death? That's all illusion and delusion. If you completely awaken, everything is just like that. Each moment. Each moment. There is no discrimination, something like we followed abstract, abstracted nouns, some yeah. idea. Abstract nouns, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, even in, in ancient Greek philosophy, in the, in the Socratic vein of thought, there, there has been, which influenced, and kind of there was a lot of intercourse with Jewish philosophy at the time as well. It's unclear what led to, which one led to which, but there, there is kind of a, a koan or, or a approach around constant awareness of death is in fact life mm. that, that is deeply embedded in the Western tradition as, as well. I want to open up for a second about the genesis of this program because the, the topics that we covered ultimately kind of come out of a, uh, of, in to some degree, uh, my walk of, of life and, and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on why I wanted to do a show about about death. And in fact, Dom Sanim, I have you to thank in our some of our pre-show dialogue. Um, it came up the and and also uh, I think uh, Eshin, Dr. Shoshana, you also mentioned the importance of tying in our personal experience and how we've been touched in life by death. And I was thinking about 9/11, and I was in downtown. Manhattan that that morning it was such a beautiful morning as we're talking about that the sky that morning was such a like a blue out of a painting and I lost uh, several people in my life that that morning Um, one of them was the father of my girlfriend at the time and uh, he uh, chose to uh, jump off he had gone to the top of one of the towers and he had Instead of burning, he chose to jump. So, and, and I never really acknowledged to myself, there were so many impacts of that in, in, in my life. It was my first experience with sudden death. I had experienced death of family members in a slower form. I had a cousin who died of AIDS. I had experienced death of old age in the family, but I'd never experienced sudden death in that way. And I was struck by the choice. I was struck by the fact that even at the last second, he was making a choice as to how to die. Uh, and, and to some degree, that was a, had to be a conscious choice, even if it was instinctive or reflexive. And in many times since then, I've thought about the choice and the dignity that we have even till the last second. Rabbi Miller, you mentioned the Holocaust before. I, I'm the, the grandson of, of Holocaust survivors. And, there, even though there were millions of people that were being executed, there there was a choice in the in in that final moment, at least attitudinally. Uh, does that matter? D- does the does the way in in Jewish thought that the that our being, our soul, or at least our consciousness, into our intellect, handles the moment of death? Does does that does that matter theologically? Absolutely. I mean, and I'm so sorry to hear about that. The story of uh, your girlfriend at the time's father, I mean, you know, I think there are certain instances where, you know, death comes to us and we have the opportunity to kind of 
affirm our own dignity in death. And part of the role of the people around a person who's dying a slower death, a, a more predictable death, um, is to always affirm the dignity of that person up until the last second, including not hastening the death, uh, because that even in the last second would be would be considered murder, mm. right? So the the idea, you know, you, the case that is coming to mind are actually two. One is Rabbi Akiva, who um, taught Torah at a time when the Romans did not want him to teach Torah, and he was being raked alive um, to death. Um, a rake was tearing the flesh off of his skin, and his disciples noticed that he started saying the Shema. And they said, you know, what are you doing? You know, how are you praying at this moment? You know, are, Rabbi Miller, you for, our non, for our non-Jewish listeners, what is the Shema? Yes. Sorry, yes, thank you. The Shema is called the watchword of our faith. It's the, the thing that we say. It's that, um, hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It's, a, it, it's a, the, the most known prayer that the Jews say called the watchword of our faith. So he was affirming the oneness of God and the existence of God, and they were perplexed, like, how come you're not saying that God has forsaken me in this moment? I'm, you know, the sage that has dedicated my life to Torah, I've raised up 24,000 students, and this is how I'm rewarded with this kind of a, you know, death. And he said, you know, all my life I've always wondered, um, what it would be like to love God with all of my soul and with all of my might and with all of my body, and now I'm getting the opportunity to love God with all of my body. And he affirmed his own dignity, and he affirmed his uh, like his steadfast connection with God in that moment, um, you know, regardless of all of the terror that was going on around him and to him. He was choosing for himself a death of dignity, um, and it just reminds me also of, of very briefly, Hasai Crescas in the 14th century in Spain. He, um, he lived just after the Spanish Inquisition, the Portuguese Inquisition, and he had seen Jews having to make these kind of um, horrible decisions about life and death. And he really understood the world as um, full of kind of suffering and the soul was constantly yearning for life. And he really understood that death would be um, a time where love kind of takes over and it is infused, um, infuses all and infuses existence. So just those two ideas that um, we have the opportunity to always affirm life, to affirm human dignity, even in atrocities of death that are well beyond our own personal control. Eshin, even though you are both a practice, practitioner of, of Judaism and, and Buddhism, maybe you could give us a little mm-hmm. bit of a secular view because I understand that you've spent a lot of time with with people that are dying and and yes. do well, you do you see that choice? What, what and what what do the dying what is what do the dying in the moment of death teach us? Well I think this is a wonderful question, thank you. And, and being with the dying, which is a great, great practice, and unfortunately right now with what's going on in the world, many of us are thrust into this and have no idea about it. I love what the rabbi said about the dignity of death and also the dignity of life. That's one of the things of Zen practice for me has really emphasized the dignity and power of every moment. But when you're with someone who is dying, and, you know, it's just like life itself. You want to change it. You want to help them. You want to do a million things. You want to control the hashkata process, we'll say, the events of life, what's happening. We want to control it. And we see that we, are, we cannot. And and we cannot, and the ego, that part of ourselves that feels so important, when it can subside and when we're not afraid of death, when we can be with that person just fully present without wanting to change them, without without wanting to anything from them, no demands of them, don't be happy, don't just allowing them to be completely as they are. And that is so. That is such a gift of love to that person, and the connection. Then, is a communion. That's it's such a profound connection from heart to heart and being to being. Yeah, that moment, is so healing. About, about, and both of you completely open. Yeah. Tremendous power in in healing that suffering of because it is a great suffer, so, suffering. Suffering to, to to leave. 
Father Kerry, yeah. sorry, sorry, Eshin. I, 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 That's okay. No, please go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, this is, is is beautiful, and I appreciate your your candor and your and your positivity in talking about something that most often is not spoken about that way. Father Kennedy, carry us into the break with the, cons- the, the riffing a little bit on that concept of communion in the moment of death, because I, I've been at loved one side in the moment of death, and there does seem to be great spiritual energy that I can't really honestly describe as sadness. It's something else. It doesn't, even though I think that's how it we're often taught to, to, to feel at that moment. It's not how I felt. I've, I've felt tremendous love and connection. What is, is there communion in the Christian tradition at the, at the moment of, 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 of death is, and if so, how and, 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 and with whom? Well, certainly there is a, a union. Um, my brother died just a few months ago. You know, I was there when he died, when he breathed his last. And uh, I, I was, uh, you know, deeply, deeply touched. Death is a, uh, a very, <laughs> very important moment. But more than that even is how we live. Um to be attentive, uh, to be careful, uh, to be loving uh, as far as we can. And death will take care of itself. We will die pretty much as as we've lived. And uh, I like what Brenda said, too, about uh, the dignity of every moment of life. And it's not just waiting for the end or waiting for a special moment of death. We might not even be conscious when we when we breathe our last. Yeah. Well, you know, I will. I wanted to read a couple of of quotes on death just before we go to the break for us to meditate on and maybe reflect on when we come back. Socrates said, "The hour of de- talking about uh, his own impending death, the hour of departure has arrived, and we go our ways." I to die and you to live. Which is better? Only God knows. And I can't resist a little bit of a, let's say, uh, to tweak the conversation, a, an atheistic point of view uh, that doesn't necessarily have to see death as as a final destination or as a as a uh, as a preordained portal. And it's J.K. Rowling, the great author, to the well-organized mind. Death is but the next great adventure. We'll be right back. Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on changing. I've been torn, but I'm keeping on, keeping on changing. Okay, we're back on equal footing. I'm with my guests, Father Robert Kennedy, Zen Abbot Do Am Sunim. Rabbi Heather Miller and Dr. Eshin Brenda Shoshana. We're talking about death, this final adventure, so to speak. I'd like to get into personal experience a little bit more. And the, the, the teaching that comes from the moment of death we've touched on, but how is it actually 
been integral to our own spiritual lives. Dom Sunim, my understanding is that a sudden death was pretty critical to your life path. Can you expound on that? The practice of Buddhism. But when I was 19, as one of my best friends, uh, we are my roommate. He went swimming on the river, and then he drowned and then died. Uh, that was uh, a very sudden death, and just we sleep together in one room, eat together all all the time, spend the time together, but just without any notice, he disappears. So it's very hard to uh, accept that happening. So finally, after a few days, and his uh, funeral, maybe, uh, not maybe, we went uh, uh, searching for the... Crim- the cremation. You went to the cremation. Yeah, cremation. Yep. So uh, until for a few days, I understand what happened in, in front of myself, in front of me, but it's, I cannot accept it. So what is this? What is this? For almost three days, I cannot think other things. There's strong doubt and the fear, confusion in my ch- in my heart. So finally, his body is gone. Right. At that moment, uh, I standing uh, out of uh, the place, the cremation and the uh, and the hill, uh, and then I waiting for the all cremation finish. So just uh, pine trees and the little uh, early summer. And that time, suddenly, suddenly I got uh, all kind of uh, the fear, confusion on my head and my chest will disappear. Then I can see just uh, skies blue, white uh, cloud coming, going. And then the early summer, the wind is breathing in my my cheek. Mm-hmm. And then some far away, some traffic sound come to my ears. Everything is clear just like that. Right. That moment, there's no death, no fear, nothing. Just like that. I don't know that I'm there or not. So that moment was the first experience of my life. And that was before you became a Zen monk? No, no. That time I was a student, only 19 years old. Wow. So I still had to go to college, you know. Yeah. So after that, almost 10 years, that bothered me a lot. And then I know if I do a lot of work, good job, good uh, college, everything I had, if I die, that's nothing. That made me really confused and the fear. So I really want to know what I'm going to do. The Not thinking about the death. I have to find that. But whatever I think, if I die, it's finished. So Really, I cannot focus. I cannot devote myself all other things. Instead of then, what am I going to do? Even the death coming, if I I don't regret, I don't fear something, even get over the death, something I find to do it. So death, in a sense, was the inspiration or a critical inspiration for your spiritual Sure, sure. My life. Not only spiritual, in my life. In your life. My job. Right. You know. Rabbi Miller, I know you've done a lot of hospice work and, and work with the death and dying. How has death touched you personally or propelled you on your spiritual path? What was just said was so, you know, reminded me of my own time in high school, my own teens, um, when I was uh, 17, um, I learned that a friend of mine who was just 15 um, died in Flight 800 with her sister and parents, which, um, you know, last week was the 25th anniversary of that. And the horrible part was that we found out about that death when we were at a funeral of our other friend who was 17 years old who had died that same summer just a few days earlier in a car crash with another friend. So um, that summer really was a, a huge catalyst. I had had a tumor when I was 10 and was already asking big questions, but 
that summer, you know, to lose three people in their teens and then another person who was 22 and then the parents in those sudden, sudden tragic ways, you know, earlier, Dove, you were talking about 9-11 and that was 20 years ago. You know, all of these moments really are these wake-up calls, like, wait, how are we living, right? This all could really be taken away in an instant. Nobody really knows the day of death, and um, uh, and and that really is this huge wake-up call. I, I believe that Judaism is an entire religion based on waking us up, taking us out of uh, monotony and the rigmarole of life and really waking us up and causing us to reflect um, several times a day, every week. Yom Kippur is known as, you know, the Shabbat of all, Shabbat Shabbaton, the Shabbat of all Shabbats, the mm-hmm. Sabbath. Not just a day of rest, but a day to reflect. So those instances reminded me of the power, number one, of community to pull together to mourn. And nobody was pushing theology, which I really appreciated in those moments. No one was saying it happened because of this or whatever. Um, but also just to remember that every moment is precious, right? My friend Jamie wrote in my yearbook, I can't wait to hang out next year, you know, and just that idea that nobody knows. Father Kennedy, after our next break, I'd like to get in a little bit to the into the rituals and, and, and rites of death and in the Christian traditions there, uh, at least from, as from an outsider's perspective, seem to be, uh, a number of very specific traditions of, of last rites. Can, can you encapsulate the meaning of that, uh, for, you know, the lay person, the purpose? Well, I, to go over the rites and what they are um, about death. Uh, I think what is uh, you know brutal about death is this uh, the finality in this life. We can hope for a life to come, but this life, uh, this spoken word, this touch uh, uh, will not come again as, uh, as we know it. And uh, therefore it's uh, there's an urgency, there's an intensity about living at this moment now. You ask yourself, have I said it? Have I said it all? Have I said enough? Uh, have I shown enough gratitude? Um, yeah. Now, now it has to be done. This is the time. You know, in 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 the the, the law in the United States and in a lot of places, the things that someone says uh, at their the moments of, of death are, are considered effectively unassailable testimony. That at that point, there's no reason to lie, and so there's a special even in in secular society. I think there's a special recognition of the, of the clarity that comes at the moment of death. We're we're going to take our our last break. Uh, we're going to take a caller and and some text questions afterwards. I'm grateful to our panel tackling such a uh, challenging subject around the the moment of, of of passing the the meaning of of death and and how it teaches us and how it affects those of us who are still on the uh, the living side, so to speak. We'll be right back on equal footing. If my words did glow With the gold of sunshine And my tunes were played On the harp of strung Would you hear my voice Come through the music All right, let's talk for a moment about Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical's been a great sponsor for Equal Footing for some time. And they're really doing an important service. Manhattan Medical helps couples, men uh, and couples with erectile dysfunction. And it's a critical element of life to be able to have enjoyable sex if that's your path uh, to be in a relationship. And Manhattan Medical gives you a different alternative to those expensive blue pills uh, the traditional methods for dealing with erectile dysfunction. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new effective therapy called Gainswave, which has received 
a lot of accolades and achieves excellent results. It's non-invasive, it's surgery-free, it's painless. Very importantly, there are no side effects. A lot of people can't take the uh, the other products that are out there in the market. So give it a try. Manhattan Medical is based in Manhattan, but you can access them from anywhere in the United States. They do virtual consults. You can call Manhattan Medical at 888-EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9. Or put into numbers 888-332-8739, 888-332-8739. All of the sponsors on Equal Footing in one way or another, have a personal connection to the show. And this one is through a very dear friend of mine who's in his mid-80s and had been battling with erectile dysfunction for many years and finally found an effective therapy that worked for him. He's had terrific results. If it can work for him, it can work for you. Don't you know, be one of those folks that... that, that uh, feel uh, like they can never talk about this, never deal with it. You can call and have a totally private, confidential consultation with Manhattan Medical about erectile dysfunction. And if you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical on equal footing, you get a free consultation, which is about a $250 value. So call now. Call Manhattan Medical about their Gains Wave Therapy at 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been torn, but I'm... Are you back on equal footing? And we're talking about death. We're having an interfaith dialogue. We have a Zen abbot, a rabbi, a psychologist who happens to also be a practitioner of Judaism and Buddhism and a Catholic priest on the line with us. And we've been talking very candidly about it and I wanted to just get into a couple of listeners uh, comments and questions and we're going to take a, a caller as as well there are a couple people who have written in and maybe Eshin Dr. Shoshana you can kick us off on this side who mm-hmm. have wanted to hear uh, a, a candid atheistic point of view uh, I'm kind of condensing a few comments that have come in but there's, a, there's some people that are feeling we're having too religious a conversation and I also want to just quickly say that please have patience if you're calling in and getting your busy, busy signal because our, our board is full up right now but we will, uh, we will take if you, if you, if you keep trying. So, what is, is there, is there a legitimate, I imagine there is a legitimate way to look at death as nothing, as, as, as an end, kaput, that's it. We thought there was well, meaning. There is no meaning. You know, can you, you, know, can you play the advocate on that well, front? Well, I, it's hard for me to think atheistically, but I can say let's look let's, let's look at it psychologically, which you know, and take uh, and take the religious aspect or the spiritual aspect out for a moment. I think that what we're looking at when you when you look at at death, one of the greatest pains and suffering is the suffering of separation that we're going to lose this person who we love and who we've identified with. And we're going to lose, we kind of, and we know we're going to lose ourselves as well. Because when one person dies who we're close to, we also die. It wakes us up a little bit. Oh, my goodness, this is going to happen to us. And also, I think that deep within each person, they know exactly what death is and what life is. You know, they know what it is, and they're so afraid of it. They're so afraid of it that we keep clinging to, as as, as Sunim said, to the illusion. We keep clinging and holding on very tight to each other and to our our identity and our job and everything like that. And and we're clinging on one hand, but we also know that it's going to go. We're going to lose it. So, from an atheistic or a non theological point of view. The greatest help or the greatest, the greatest preparation for this change, this transformation is to learn how to let go in life, just to let go of the clinging, of the grabbing, of trying to make everything real and solid. And if we enter the, the nature of life as change. You know, as Ashen, I, re- I remember after uh, his name in blessed memory was Herman Sandler, after uh, it was the father of my girlfriend, who was a young man at the time, he must have been in his mm-hmm. early 50s, who died in 9-11. And the family asked me to go down to Florida to help clear out uh, a family house in Palm Beach. And I remember being struck by the meaningless 
nature of all possessions of yes, all the the shoes and the suits and the I'm cars sorry. and the and the and the, the just the acquired possessions are just all of a sudden from one second to another completely meaningless father kennedy you must have uh over time members of your congregations either in the catholic tradition or in the zen tradition who have who are coming into or leaving the path from an atheistic perspective, can we somehow on this program validate or somehow, you know, address death from that perspective for a moment? Like, is there a way to see death devoid of God and still see meaning in it? Well, you can put meaning into it. I mean, nobody can do it for you. You have to uh, put meaning into your own life. If you take uh, God out, you just have this uh, these few years, and uh, you can make the very best of it you can, um, because that will be the end. Um, so the meaning, since uh, yeah. Copernicus, at least you know the scientific world has. Uh, put God aside pretty completely and just acts as if uh, this is all that there is and uh, you know there's nothing more to come yeah. the whole the whole modern world uh, is in that uh, that frame of mind one thing that comes to mind Father Kennedy is from a legacy pers- to see things from a legacy perspective you know the, the the Terry Pratchett saying that no one no one is actually dead until the ripples they cause in the world die away. Uh, yes. One of the reasons I chose that that uh, Grateful Dead song "Ripple" for the program is that that is one way to see it. Maybe that's not through religious prism, but still to give uh, right. life and then death meaning. Caller on line one, you've been very patient. Uh, welcome to Equal Footing. Good evening, Dove. Hey, Stan. How are you? How are you, my friend? Thanks for nice Thursday. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, you know that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to hear you talk. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about one ritual that is a new ritual, and I want to get your opinions on it. It's the ritual of euthanasia. It's the principle of I'm dying, I want to enhance my death, and I want to die because I don't want to suffer, I don't want this anymore, and I want to assist, I want someone to help me. Death, because of ma- massive disease, pain, and the person to help me. We had that in a man named Dr. Kevorkian, and it still goes on today. There's a hemlock society, and it goes on all across this country. You probably know people that have done it. I want to know, I, I think I know your answers, but I want to hear it from you. Someone who wants to die, who wants death. It's it's a it's a release, as the rabbi said. It's a release because they don't want to stop. They want to speed it up. Right. I'd like your views on that. Yeah, Thanks. great question, Stan. Euthanasia. Rabbi Miller already stated that you know even hastening death can be considered murder. Uh, no, it is not. Do I'm saying, no, it is not. Give give us the the Buddhist perspective or your perspective at least on euthanasia on someone you know choosing in 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 suffering to to hasten. Their, their death. I can see two ways. One is like really, really the try to awaken and then see the present moment complete. If some people doesn't have that experience, some people doesn't know what to do. And then there's many ways to make people the, the comfortable to die or something. That's more society, any culture, any those kind of things people can decide, uh, discuss and decide. But in the, uh, my, my, my way is like, uh, that's not a correct, the way of death. Because life and death is all dream, illusion. If you really awaken that from now, we're sitting here, but there's a sky outside the sound, everything is a condition, atmosphere, it's just like that. If I don't move by those things, always peace, always complete. But most of people, they don't try to get that. 
So they have many medical things, many discussions like that. I don't see that's correct, but so there's no choice. If, if death is an illusion, then w- why not make it come sooner if you're suffering? What's the big deal? That that's the that's the people misunderstanding illusion to death is fear, something like that, or something maybe the after die something. There, all those thing is a illusion, delusion. One thing is very clear in this moment. What are you doing now? Where are you now? This is most clear, complete things. Except that, that's all delusion, illusion. Father Kennedy, euthanasia. Give us your... Well, if a person wishes to, uh, you know, to bring about his own life, uh, usually uh, the law allows it uh, that they can do that. As a religion, uh, Catholicism uh, comes on the side of life, always, uh, always hopeful. Something uh, can be made out of a bad situation, but I think everyone understands and is sympathetic to people that are, you know, are so distraught that they want to take and do take their own life. Um, I, I certainly have uh, empathy. That. Of course, of course. Stan, thank you for your for your question. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure it. to talk yeah. to you. Great topic tonight. Thank thank you. I just want to, can I say just one yeah. thing about that? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, you know, I mean, and I've, I've been very active in the hospice working I, in the early days and everything, and I just want to say that it's, just to say one thing, it's very, very painful for the people around you. Well, when, 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 I'm, and I've experienced that just recently with someone who, who did something just like that, refused to eat and so forth, mm-hmm. took their own life in their own way, right. and everybody around me was happy. They said, well, they died without pain, without right. dignity. But, uh, my personal feeling is that from a karmic point of view, it's, a, it's somehow, and, and we cannot do this just when we're ready to die, but earlier in our life to learn what pain is and how to handle the pain. That's so important. That's such a big part of Zen practice, such a big part. We can have pain, but we don't make it into suffering. Right, detachment. Really learn what pain is, because pain can be a great gift and a great teaching to us. So that's why practice, practice is particularly emphasized in Zen and also in Judaism. Practice, don't let this wonderful opportunity go away, because when we leave, who if this circle goes around and around, I don't think we can ever escape something unless it's really complete. And if we go in that frame of mind, it's just my my, my personal view that okay. we're not escaping anything. Rabbi at all. Miller, let's let's. We've got one last question. We just have a little because this question was sitting on for quite a while. There's a, a listener has written in about Shemira, about the concept in Judaism of watching over the body of a deceased person from the time of death until until burial. Can you quickly, 30 seconds, tell us what that's, what that's about before we conclude? Rabbi Miller? Yes, sorry. I just, I did want to address Dan to just, you know, we shouldn't hasten death and that can be considered murder, but also there is an acceptance of removing what's keeping us from life. So removing life support's okay and, you know, and I think that mm-hmm. nowadays we know more about death and hastening death and euthanasia, and um, you know, I think there becomes to be a point where there's a competing value about dignity right. and compassion. And I do think that um, you know there there's a softening of the heart around um, the the subject of euthanasia. So mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just mention that. But as far as Shmira, yeah. So there's an idea that we that we sit with the the body, um, and um, you know my grandmother died during this time of COVID, and um, I actually had friends actually um, read a psalm. I had 150 friends; each person read one psalm, and so we did um, an honoring of her life from the time that she died till the time that her body was buried, um, where tradition. people around the world. Yeah. We're able to, you know, lift up her name in blessing and read in her honor. Um, we're going to need to so, conclude there because we're, we're out of yeah, time. I sure. thank you for sharing that. And thank that you. is a good note to end on, uh, to lift up all mm-hmm. those who have passed in, in honor and blessed memory. Thank you to our guests tonight on Equal Footing. Catch you next week. Waiting for someone to tell you everything 
sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring. Maybe a diamond ring. Well, it's all right, even if they say you're wrong. Well, it's all right. Sometimes you gotta be strong. 